Man, I'm so glad to be back here with you guys and thankful that uh, it is the first Sunday of 2021. And uh, it's going to be the first time that I have an opportunity really to speak to you since um, the first Sunday of December, I think, between Christmas music and Pastor Will giving me a break and some things like that. We kind of been away, but I'm thankful today that I get to talk to you. And today is, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Sometimes, I don't do this every January, but from time to time, I, I, I give you guys what I call a state of the church address. Some pastors call it Vision Sunday, and uh, you can call it whatever maybe you, you would like to call that. So I'm going to do that today, so I won't really be preaching today. Next Sunday will be Covenant Day for us again, and so I typically don't preach on Covenant Day, although I think next Sunday I will use that to introduce the next sermon series that I'm going to be preaching, which will be a different kind of sermon series than what I normally preach. You know, normally we take a book of the Bible and we go through verse by verse, and far and away, that is my preference. Uh, but for a, a little while, we're going to do a topical series that I'm calling Captivity. And we're going to talk about the things that oftentimes take our hearts into captivity. You know, we oftentimes uh, hear people talking about, you know, asking Jesus into their heart, and that's, that's a fine statement, uh, and He certainly does. The Holy Spirit does come to indwell us, but at the same time, Christ has called us to dwell in Him. But that old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so we want to identify what are some of the things that uh, lure our hearts away from the presence of Christ and draw our hearts into a place of captivity. And then we want to talk about how God would bring our hearts back home and how to keep our hearts home there with Him. There's a gentleman in our church that's actually writing a book, and I have his manuscript of that book. And so he's allowed me to sort of come alongside him and partner with him and, and take some of this and putting in, put it into a, a preaching sort of format. So I've never worked with one of our church members in that way before, but I'm excited to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, Bible studies are back up and going, most of them, I think, some face-to-face -face on campus today, some face-to-face -face on campus throughout this week, uh, some by Zoom only, some by Zoom and face-to-face. -face. So I hope you're finding a place to connect with God's people. If you're looking for a place and trying to figure out how can I connect to a small group, let us know. We want to help you do that. And maybe you've been a part of a small group for, for some time, and maybe you just need a change. That's okay. I, some of the counsel I give a lot of times is you just need some fresh water flowing through your life. And so uh, while you're committed to this church family, you, you can get in some different streams within the church family from time to time, and that's a good thing to be able to do that. So we want to help you do that. Also, uh, on the tables as you're coming in or coming out, we have a Bible reading plan for this year. Um, this is not going to cover every verse of the Bible, but it's going to hit the high points. You're going to get the main themes. Uh, you can stick with this and not quit in numbers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this may be a little more doable than some that you've done in the past. If what you've done in the past works for you and you're doing that again, then rock on. Do your thing. You do that. Uh, but if you're looking for a plan, we, we as a church family are going to do this and we're going to do this uh, loosely together. I've got a small group of some high school boys that I'm going to encourage them to hold off just a little bit. I want to walk with them through this. So uh, if y'all all want to start tomorrow, you can. Or if you want to kind of take a week or two to get your family and friends and small group on the same page, that's fine too. But find somebody to walk with you through this together. I think that'll make it a, a real enjoyable thing to get to do. So tonight, Pastor Bryant's going to be here with our high school students. 
Uh, what time is that? 6.30, is that right? And college, Sunday school's tonight as well, so don't forget about that. And then Wednesday night we'll be here with uh, birth through ninth grade, so we'll be back up and rolling with all of that. So uh, I know we all got a little holiday cobwebs in our brains, all right? So it'll take a few days for us to kind of settle back in, but we'll eventually get there. So let me start here. It was 1942, and a year earlier, the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor and found itself drawn into World War II, and life in America suddenly and drastically on that Sunday changed. And I heard my grandfather talk often about this train car after train car would take young men from all over the country to different places and different ports where they would be shipped out all over the world and leave everything behind to bring to an end the totalitarian regimes of people like Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini and Emperor Hirohito. And telegram after telegram would come from far away to mamas and daddies here at home. Some telegrams were like the one my great-grandparents received about my grandfather, telling them that he had been wounded in war. Those telegrams were the good ones. Many other telegrams came back here to moms and dads to tell them that their sons would not be coming home. At that time in this country, life was hard. And this suppressed grief sort of hung over the entire nation. An uncertainty and an anxiety about the present and the future sort of pervaded everybody's hearts and minds. It, it was a time that in many ways, you might say, was even similar to the times that we have found ourselves living in recently, in particular this last year. Obviously, the causes of our concerns are far different. But the results of our concerns are, in large part, very much alike. We have faced death. We have faced uncertainty. We have faced an abrupt change in life as we have always known it. And I've used this phrase throughout this past year. There's sort of been this suppressed grief that's hung over all of us this past year as we have found ourselves oftentimes separated and isolated and alone. But in the middle of World War II, there was a small group of people that lived right here in this community called Loveless Park, this same little community where we're meeting in today. And like every other small community in America in 1942, those people were feeling the weight of the hardest days that they had ever known. Among the people in this community of Loveless Park, there were a handful of families that were finding that getting themselves to their church, assembling together to worship, was becoming difficult. To make the commute from this little dairy farm community in the country to the church in the city where they were attending in Bessemer was becoming quite a challenge. You might even say quite a hardship. You see, in those days, you might not know this, but money was getting scarce. Things like gas and oil were being rationed. And traveling any place that was beyond a walkable distance was something that was just typically reserved for the bare necessities. This group of believers, however, in this little community, 
They refuse to forsake the assembling of themselves together. Even in the middle of a world war. And so they began to meet together informally right here in this community. And they met and they talked and they worshipped and they prayed together. And then they began to have conversations, the country folks with their church family in the city. And they began to tell their church family in the city that our community out here in the country just needs to have a church where we can assemble ourselves together. And the city church and the country people, they all agreed that that seemed like the thing that God would want to do. But they all knew it wouldn't be easy. They all knew that they would be trying, if they did that, to do the best of things in the worst of times. And yet, despite being in a world that looked like it was coming to an end, this small group of 21 people joined themselves together in worship on February the 21st, 1943. And they entered into a covenant to become a church family right here in this community. And on that day, they became known as Loveless Park Baptist Church. And if you don't know, we are that same church family today. And at least for a little while longer, hopefully just a little while, we're still meeting on the same piece of property where they began as this church family. Our name is different today, but our message is the same. Our mission is the same. What I might call our spiritual DNA is really still the same. We preach the same gospel with the same intent to make disciples of all the nations for God's glory and for our joy. And like those who came before us, I believe that this is a church family that is still devoted today to doing the best of things, even in the worst of times. Because like they, we also still believe Jesus is worth it. Amen. He is worth still doing the best of things in the worst of times. So through wars and tornadoes that blew this pulpit off our building some years ago, towers falling, pandemics, and a never-ceasing attack from spiritual forces in high places, God has continued through all the years to be faithful. He's continued to give grace and strength and courage and devotion to the members of this church family. One part of our spiritual DNA that I think that we have is what I call grit. Grace-given grit. We have a, a grittiness that has been given by God to us. This grace-given grit. Grit is passion, it's perseverance, it's tenacity to stay the course. To continue pursuing God's purposes no matter the circumstances around us. To continue to work hard and relentlessly to achieve what we believe God has set before us to do. Listen, we do not believe in working hard to get saved. But we believe we ought to work hard because we are saved. If there's anything that I've done right as your pastor all these years, and that's a question on the table, I'm sure. But if there's anything that I've done right, it's this. I have never ever 
underestimated your grit. I came in knowing the grit, the grace-given, God-given grit of these people. And together we have sought the Lord for some pretty epic things. This little church in the country has been dreaming some pretty big dreams. And along the way, the couldn't and the shouldn't folks were always there, but they were always, I knew it, they were always underestimating this grace-given grit that God was using just to keep this church moving on, advancing the name of Jesus from generation to generation, from neighborhoods to nations. Circumstances after circumstances that would have derailed the average group of people just always seemed to galvanize this church family. And just as it was in the year 1943, 2020 was yet another year where this church family still found the grittiness to do the best of things in the worst of times. Because despite everything going on around us, you all were still convinced that Jesus is worth it. The best thing they did 78 years ago is they trusted God in the midst of a world crisis. The best thing that you did last year is the same thing. You kept trusting God last year in the midst of a world crisis. We trusted the Lord To help us not panic, but to be prudent. Just like 78 years ago, the circumstances that we found ourselves in this past year made it difficult and still makes it difficult for us to assemble ourselves together. But God gave us the grit to try to figure out ways around that. Hadn't been perfect, hadn't been easy, but the get around it grit has been there. So we had church on Saturday nights, and we had church on Sunday nights, and we had church on Sunday mornings. We had church four times a weekend. We had church four times a day. We preached in an empty room. We preached every time we could. We moved and set up these chairs every single week because not only were we going through a pandemic, but God blessed us with the opportunity to sell our campus to a Christian school. Now, you got to have some grace-given grit to go through a pandemic. you got to have some grace-given grit to go through a panic and sell your campus at the same time. Every seat being moved every week, every seat being sanitized every week. Your small groups were gritty and your leaders were gritty. They met outside in the heat amongst the mosquitoes. Our children's schedule, our youth schedules all changed. You guys kept figuring out ways to stick together and meet together. And miracle of all miracles, you all figured out how to Zoom. <laughs> how many of you had never heard of Zoom February of 2020, right? Didn't need it. Now we know how to use it and don't want it. It's been a blessing, though, to have it. The reality is, though, that if they had had Zoom in 1943, we might not be a church today. One of those old people who's with the Lord now, he told me, he said, this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for World War II. The hard times forced good things to happen. I'd say the same thing. 
about recent history. Hard times have made some really good things happen in our lives here. This sanctuary sat empty for just less than 30 days. And then y'all started coming back. Many of you have been faithfully gathering with your family there in your living room, which, from my experience, is way harder than gathering here. <laughs> Something about that seems a challenge, but you stuck with, stuck with it, and we're thankful for that. We did things this past year that we've never done before. Imagine that, a bunch of Baptists doing things we've never done before. We stopped doing some things that we never thought we'd stop doing, like passing an offering plate. What self-respecting Baptist church doesn't pass an offering plate? Have y'all realized we haven't passed an offering plate since February? We haven't had a deacon stand here and pray the offertory prayer since February. I baptized Nathan East and I wore gloves like he had the plague or something. And he wore gloves like I had the plague or something. Never thought I'd baptize anybody like that, but we did that. All this while we found ourselves semi-homeless for the first time in 78 years. Heritage Christian took ownership of this. And honestly, everything in 2020 was a blessing to them because that allowed them to have more time to get set up for school. That was good for them, but made it more challenging for us because our Sunday school classrooms became school classrooms. And we had to move our offices and our Fireside Room, a.k.a. Fellowship Hall, became a school cafeteria. Our pastors and staff would get together in the midst of the pandemic and come up with some really good ideas for how we could sort of try to meet together and come together and do some things to try to build each other up and encourage each other in the midst of the pandemic. And then we'd come to the end of that conversation and realize, oh yeah, we can't do that anymore. We don't have that room anymore. We don't have that space anymore. Even our student ministry can't all meet on the same day of the week because we don't have the space that we had. But God kept giving us His grace and grit to go through this pandemic while at the same time not having a place that we could call home for the time being. And in all of this, y'all, there is no question about it. God's hand has been on us. No question about that. And we can't thank Him enough. Not only has God protected us, and He has. And again, when I say that, people knock on wood. It's going to get bad. I'm not denying reality, y'all, but I'm not going to keep backing up on my praise because of what might be in the future. Okay? So, please let me praise the Lord unhindered, all right? I'm aware of what's going on in the world, all right? But I'm just going to be an ignorant country preacher who just keeps praising Jesus, if that's okay by you. He has protected us. I'm thankful for that, and we don't take that for granted. And he's provided for us. That small group of 21 people in 1943, this is what they said of themselves. This is their words. They wrote it down. It's in my office. I read it often. They said, I guess you would say of us, we were a mission of Second Baptist Bessemer, the city church that they came from. 
They saw themselves as missionaries. 21 people saw themselves as missionaries to this community. Missions has always been at the heartbeat of the DNA of this church family. It still is today. That's why you hear us say we're a family of servant missionaries. That's never changed. This year, this past year, it it became impossible for us to do missions like we're accustomed to doing missions. We didn't get to go and do as much. But you didn't let that stop you from praying and from giving. In fact, you gave more to missions this year in the middle of a pandemic than you even did the year before that to the tune of $244,768. Praise the Lord. That is grace-given grit. To God be the glory. You agree that three years ago when we started the relocating process over to Shadow Lake that it would not diminish or hinder our mission support and you have kept your word. You kept doing the best of things. And I think that is the best of things. And you kept doing the best of things even in the middle of the worst of times because you were still convinced Jesus is worth it no matter what. And through all of this, people have come to know Jesus just right here. In our own communities, we've watched people follow the Lord in baptism with gloves or without gloves in a pandemic. We baptized this year more people than we have any other year except for one year in our 78 years as a church family. Jesus just keeps doing the best of things in the worst of times. Praise his name. We met a lot of new people this year too. People that I'd never seen before started showing up on Saturday night when they found out we were worshiping the Lord here on Saturday night. They started coming on Sunday night, Sunday morning. They began to worship the Lord with us, and we enjoyed that so much. Many of them are in the process of becoming members right now. They're patiently waiting. Say, what's the holdup? Well, our pastors had this great idea this past January. We felt, you know what, it would be most healthy for us going forward as a church family if we don't affirm people into membership until they're first affirmed into a small group. That was a great idea in January, and then the pandemic hit in March, and small groups have been struggling to get together uh, since that time. And these folks that have come in, they've been patiently waiting to get affirmed. So we haven't affirmed. We only affirmed, I think, 35 new people in our membership last year, but we got a line of people ready to be a part of our church family, despite all of our inconsistencies that we've had over this past year. They want to be a part of that same mission that those folks began to be a part of in 1943. I'm excited about that. I'm thankful for the people the Lord's brought. I think they're a good fit here because they, too, want to do the best of things, like commit to a church family, even in the worst of times, because they believe Jesus is worth it. I look forward to affirming them. At just the right time, God's going to be moving us to our new campus at Shadow Lake. You're going to ask me, because you always do, when's that going to happen? And here's my answer, at just the right time. It will be just the right time. I can tell you it's closer than it's been before. It's going to be just the right time because I believe that by then, this awful virus is going to be in large part, at least, in our rearview mirror. And this church family is going to start having the opportunity to make up for a lot of lost time together. We've suffered this year because we've not been able to be together like we need. 
There's dear saints in this room that have lost spouses and parents and children this year. And we've not walked with each other like is normal. We're going to move to Shadow Lake at just the right time where we're going to be able to reconnect with our church family just in the nick of time. We're going to be able to reconnect, I think, in one of the most beautiful places in our area. The most beautiful place in our area. We're going to get up on Sunday mornings and you're going to get your Bible and your journal and your pen and your picnic basket and your fishing pole and your football and your hammock. And the neighbors are going to say, where are you going? And you're going to say, I'm going to church. And they're going to say, well, all that stuff? Yep. Because when I get to church, I'm staying all day. I'm going to watch the sunset. I'll be back tonight. Not only will our church family be back together in that beautiful place, but it's also going to be just the right time when we get there that we're going to have an opportunity to reintroduce ourselves to this community. That has also been separated and isolated for a long time now. That tool called Shadow Lake has been one of our primary tools to blessing the people who live in this community for a long time. In fact, building a campus there was always plan B. Plan A was always this property is to be used as a blessing to this community. Because these communities, by and large, that we live in, most of them aren't municipalities. There's no public spaces for people to gather and relax, for families to be together and to enjoy those. So that's why we bought Shadow Lake when we did. We're going to have an opportunity soon to reintroduce ourselves to our community back out at Shadow Lake at just the right time. Since construction started two or three years ago, we've kind of stepped back from our community a little bit. We haven't had one of our primary tools to bless our community with. But we're going to be out there at just the right time. Soon our 72 acres are going to be enjoyed by our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and their families. It's going to be a place for them to play and fish and relax and maybe meet Jesus for the very first time. And I wish I had time today to thank every man and woman who's devoted their life over the last several years to that. All the blood, sweat, and tears. People who have been doing the best of things in the worst of times. Got a bunch of old dudes over there every day. Somebody told them last year, hey, y'all fall into that vulnerable category. And they kept on. Doing the best of things in the worst of times because they believe Jesus is worth it. I told them the other day when I was out there, I said, guys, I, I wish I could tell you that what you're doing here is never going to be forgotten. And they looked at me and said, we're not doing it so people remember it. We're not doing it for people at all. They kept on doing the best of things in the worst of times because they're convinced Jesus is worth it. And hey, by the way, clearly you do too. On top of your missions giving that I spoke about a few moments ago, over the last three years you've been giving to this thing called the gift. That's our building fund, our relocation fund to Shadow Lake. Three years ago you pledged to give a bunch of money to that. And to date you've given one million $261,968 toward that. Isn't that crazy? 
this little church in the country? That's 90% of what you pledge to give. Listen, if I wasn't a pastor, if my J-O-B was to be the leader of a church stewardship campaign company, and I could guarantee every local church that did my stewardship campaign that you'd get 90% of what was pledged, I'd have the best stewardship campaign company in the whole country. Churches would line up all day to take 90% of that. But I know you, and you know me, that missing 10% is going to bug the stew out of us, isn't it? So I got some good news for you today. Recently, our church council got together, and they voted unanimously. Let's give the church an opportunity to continue to give to the gift. Remember how we started that? I don't know what I did in my card. There it is. Three years ago, here's how our stewardship campaign went. We said, hey, we got these little perforated cards. It's got some blanks on there. You write down what you believe the Lord would have you give next three years. Write your name on it. Do the same thing on the other side. Tear it in half. You keep one copy for you and then turn a copy into us so we can calculate what the goal is going to be. That's it. No big fancy banquet. No motivational speaker. No committee made up of hit people who called you every month to put the pressure on you to catch this thing up. None of that. Just one and done, one and done. And three years later, we see what the Lord has done. That's it. That's simple. So we're going to do that again. These cards are over on the tables at the corners there. You can pick them up, take, take them home, talk about it with your loved ones, pray about what God would have you to do. I remember when me and Shannon went through that process, we were pretty stretched. You know, we got four kids and one that was about to go to college, three in private school and trying to figure all that out. And we decided what God would have us do, and we've never missed that. And as you can tell, I've put on a few pounds since three years ago, and God's been good to us, all right? And He, he is. So you're going to have the opportunity to do that. Now, you know, uh, I don't know what God's going to do through that. Personally, I'd love to see us at least pledge what we pledged three years ago. And then I'd like to go past that 10% so we could say for six years we nailed 100%, right? Uh, that'd be fun to, to do. It's incredible to think that before we have our third anniversary on the new campus, we might have already put $3 million toward the debt. We would already be over halfway to being debt-free over there in just that short amount of time. Those three years are going to go by fast. So you pray about being a part of that. And by the way, that's not the only way God's getting us over there in a financially responsible way. As I mentioned, countless volunteer hours, countless hours have saved the church hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not to mention generous vendors and companies and organizations that God has raised up along the way to bless us. And, and you may not know this, but for the last three years, out of our regular budget, that's what you tithe to, right? We've been trying to get ourselves ready for the jump to that new campus, we, we knew there's going to be a mortgage payment. We get over there, so we've been trying to get acclimated to that. So three years ago, we, we said out of our budget, 15000 a month is going to go to that. So we were already kind of knocking debt in the head at 15000 a month. And then two years ago, we said we're going to increase that to 25000 a month because that's somewhere in the ballpark of where that mortgage payment's probably going to be. And so 25000 a month, God provided that in 2019 every month. And then the budget for 2020 that you guys voted and approved, we said, all right, we're going all in, $30,000 a month. We're going to set aside every single month to go toward that. And if we can do that at $30,000, this new debt load when we get over there is going to be old, old hat to us, right? 
So in 2020, January of 2020, we started pulling out that $30,000 a month from your tithes, right? Two months later, the pandemic hits. Let me tell you this. Grace-given grit. By faith, you guys kept giving to the Lord. You kept giving of yourselves. And I'm happy to tell you that not only did God provide so that we could put that $30,000 a month toward that, He did more than we could think, ask, or imagine. We finished the year 2020 in the black to the tune of about $50,000. God's good. He has been and He will be good. And y'all are full of grace given grit. I mean full of it. Y'all are full of it. Redefining the phrase. Grace given grit. You keep on doing the best of things in the worst of times because you're convinced Jesus is worth it. Now if We've been reminded, or if I've been reminded of anything this past year, it's this. Proverbs 19.21. Proverbs 19.21 says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. We can make our plans, but it's only the purposes of God that are going to prevail. So as we move into 2021, I think we've learned a lot of lessons. And I think we've learned better that that's how we've got to live our lives. Make your plans, but hold on to them real loosely. But don't lose a wink of sleep. Because the purposes of God are going to prevail. They're not ever going to be stopped. In 2004, I was sitting with the then building committee for this church, Loveless Park Baptist Church at that time. They were working on a building project that I just didn't think was big enough. And I started asking some questions, and I asked the question, do you have like a 2020 vision? And they looked at me like I was growing a unicorn horn out of my forehead. Like, what do you mean? And I said, well, like, by the year 2020, for example, do you have a sense of, an idea of, are you praying toward where the Lord would have you to be in 2020? And they laughed. I didn't really know why they were laughing, because I'm young and dumb. I was way younger and dumber than I even am now. And they said, 2020, that's ridiculous. And I remember I said to them, well, let me ask you a question. How many of you remember 1988? And they all remembered it clear as day. I said, do you realize we're as close to 2020 as we are to 1988? And the reality sort of set in. That was true. They stopped laughing and they understood the power of making a long-range plan. And we began to think together about what God might do here by 2020. Now, 2020... Has come and gone. And in a cardboard box on the dark shelf in the back corner of my office, there's a purple post it note that in 2004 or 5, 
I wrote down the 2020 plan. I wrote down what I thought God was going to do over the next 16 years. Listen, I don't want to brag or draw a lot of attention to myself today, but I need you to know this. Not one thing that I put on that post-it note has happened. (laughs) Not one. You can make many plans, the Bible says, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I still have my purple post-it note. I found it a couple of weeks ago. I'm getting ready to move offices, if you haven't heard. You say when at the right time. A lot of stuff you collect over those years. I found where you guys were giving suggestions about what we would name that piece of property. And my oldest son, who's about to be 22, he was six or seven at that time. And I still have the note in that same cardboard box where he suggested on a yellow post-it note that we named that new property Loveless Pond. That idea never got traction. And then we learned that it used to be Shadow Lake Dairy Farm, so we stuck with the, the history. So I got a lot of cool mementos from back there, but that old purple post-it note crumpled up that you've never seen and you never will see just serves to remind me that we make our plans, but don't lose sleep over them, because it's God's purposes that are going to prevail. Was writing that down on that purple post-it note a colossal waste of time? No. I cherish it, because looking back, while my prognostication might have been wrong, my faith was dead square on. I didn't know what he was going to do. But I knew I was prepared to give my life to something because I knew he was going to do something. And so recently I pulled out another purple post-it note that you'll probably never see. Making my plans. It probably won't ever happen. Difference is, in the next 16 years, I'm going to sleep a lot better because I've learned. Don't lose sleep over that stuff. God's purposes are going to prevail. And when His purposes do prevail, I'm going to be standing there with a 16-year-old crumpled up piece of purple post-it note, and I'm going to say, I knew it! I didn't know what you were going to do, but I knew you were going to do something You surrounded me with that gritty church family just fresh out of 2020. And I knew you weren't done. I knew you had a purpose for us. I knew there was a mission still to be lived out. And I didn't know what you would do. I didn't know how you would do it. I didn't know all the ups and the downs and the mountains and the valleys and the celebrations and the heartaches. But I knew you would be faithful. And I knew you'd do something. I challenge you to get a purple post-it note that some years from now you can hold up and say, God, I didn't know what you would do, but I knew you'd do something. If there's ever been a time to believe that God's about to do something, 
is now. I don't know how difficult the days may be in front of us. They may be more difficult than the days even behind us. We've gone through a lot together. And we're going to go through a lot more together. But I'm trusting that God is still going to give us grace-given grit. That he alone will get the glory for that grace-given grit. That the legacy of the Loveless Park missionaries will continue until Jesus comes. So that if he doesn't come for quite some time yet, which I just don't happen to think is the case, but... If we all outlive the rapture, I hope we would agree that we would want those who come behind us. Because see, those 21 missionaries, they're all with the Lord now. But we're still talking about them because of that grace-given grit that was in their gut. And I think we would like to think that those who come behind us after we're gone would still be praising God. Because he gave the grace... To a bunch of people who really didn't have much of a clue. To trust him. To do great and mighty things. That they might say of us to God's glory. They did the best of things. In the worst of times. Because they were convinced. Jesus is worth it. Hey I am more convinced now than I've ever been. That he's worth it. Can I ask you today to consider rededicating your life to him? If you believe he's worth it, would you recommit your life? I'm not talking about just a flippant New Year's resolution. I mean today, in this moment, would you just re-declare yourself all in for the cause of Christ, for his glory, for his fame, for his renown? And you cannot do that without also at the same time rededicating yourself to his church. To his people. Even as you may be at home with no end in sight for when you may be able to be back here in worship. Wherever you are today, would you join with us and let's recommit ourselves as the people of God. Not just to his church, capital C, but to this local mission outpost. In this one little community that has now become a big regional community. With endless opportunities here and around the world, to reach people with the gospel for the glory of God. This first Sunday of 2021 with fresh, new, clean, purple post-it notes, and I got a bunch of them. If you want some, you just come on up here and get your own. I'll share. You just need one. We didn't have them in stock in the office. I went to Office Depot the other day just to get purple post-it notes. I'll share mine with you. Would you recommit yourself today to the Lord? I'm not going to tell you what, everything that's on my pers- purple post-it note, but I'll tell you one thing that I've learned that I need, I need to do. And that's I need more time with the men in this church. Years ago, we started this thing called Man Day. 
And early on Monday mornings, men would gather out at Shadow Lake. Sun wasn't even up yet. We'd pray together. Some met at night. We'd hang out for lunch sometimes. This year, with everything going on, man, we were all under fellowship, but especially our men. We're really under fellowship. And this is going to sound strange to my pastoral team because for about the last six weeks, I have a prayer meeting every week with our pastors. We meet before church starts. We meet early. We pray. And I've always been strict about you be on time for that. For 15 years, 16 years, I've been strict about that. I've locked, I won't call any names, but I've locked some pastors out because they've been habitually late to that. And they show up late and my door's locked. No, you be here for that. For about the last six weeks, I've been late. Now, I can make excuses. I guess maybe I will. Just tired, just discouraged, just, it ain't been so much fun this year, you know? And, and some of the pastors are in the room, to be honest with you, I'm tired of seeing their mugs. I'm tired of most of my fellowship with men in this church being with them. And they are way more tired of most of theirs being with me, I know. I miss you, men. I miss getting together. I miss spending time with you. I miss praying together. I used to have a deacon come into my office every Sunday before church started. That started with a man named Jim Wells. His mother-in-law's here today, and Jim's been with the Lord for a long time. Jim Wells started that when I first came here. And that never stopped until this stupid pandemic hit. I hadn't had a deacon come in my office and pray with me since February. I miss you, gentlemen. So next Sunday, to help me not be late for my time of prayer with the pastors... I'm inviting all the men to come to that prayer meeting next Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. We'll meet in here. We'll pray. We'll worship for 30 minutes. It's only 30 minutes because then the band's got to rehearse, get ready for 8 o'clock worship. And then you can run home, pick up your family, take them breakfast, whatever whatever that looks like for you. If you don't want to come, don't come. I don't want your sour mug here. But I think there's a whole lot of men that are feeling under fellowship like I am. I need more face time with men of God. Desperately. I am starving for it. Just being real. I can't, I can't go on like we're going. Now I know you ladies are thinking, what about us ladies? What about you ladies? We're trying to catch up with y'all. Are you kidding me? God's used the women of God in this church to really hold the line this year in so many ways. Y'all have done such a great job caring for one another, blessing one another, ministering to one another, to hurting people, grieving people all through this. You, God's just wired you up, ladies. While biblically you may not be qualified to hold the office of pastor, you all have the heart to nurture, and to shepherd in such a beautiful way. I guess, men, we need the title sometimes to have the motivation. The girls just get the motivation naturally. They don't need the title. They just do it. So, ladies, you're not left out of this. We got to be better men. You deserve to have better men in this church. You deserve to have a better pastor. By God's grace, I believe the men of God are going to be Grittier for God's glory this year than we were last year. Amen, gentlemen? Amen. That's the only thing I'm going to tell you. It's on my purple post. Not this one, but the only thing I'm going to tell you. You need to get out your own today. Not that you know what the Lord's going to do, but so...
when he shows up, when he comes back for us, or when you're taking your last breath, you can say, I got my post-it note. And you didn't do anything like this, but I knew you'd do something. I knew you would. God, we do know that you're going to do something. You're going to continue to win souls into your eternity, into your presence forever through the power of the gospel. You're going to do that through your church. There is no other way that that will happen. You have commissioned men and women for 2,000 years to go and make disciples. We're sitting on this piece of ground today because 78 years ago, 21 people understood that. And when things were hard, they didn't pack it up. They pressed on. And we're not ready to pack it up, Lord. By your grace, we want to press on. And we can't press on by ourselves. we got to press on together. Hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, heart connected to heart. It's not easy in these days. There's a lot of challenges. What is easy is to make excuses. But that's never been the DNA of this people that you've called out at this place. Don't let us start in our generation to become excuse makers. We look back across our church family's history and it's a legacy of difference makers. Let that not stop on our watch, God. Not to the praise of our name, but to your name. We believe you are worth it. In Jesus' name.